being in touch with your own sense of sexual, own sense of self-present, own sense of social is the only way that you're actually ever going to have a relationship with those instincts. We're all pretty fucked up and we all need to really admit that we're all fucked up. And it's only by identifying and seeing and suffering the inability for us to be awake that we start to transform. Just you like us. We don't have to like you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> we will offend you, but you we still deserve love. <laughs> you do all the work and yes. that's it. But we provide something for other people to bond around hating us. <laughs> yeah. The big hormone enneagram. Hi, I'm John Lukovich, uh, sexual self-present with bi-wing 458 trifix. Hi, I'm David Gray, self-present sexual 9 with 1974 trifix. What up, it's Emika. I'm an 8-wing 7, sexual self-present with 854 fixes. Hi, I'm Nancy. I am a self-present social 3-wing 4 with a... If you like our podcast, guys, make sure you go like and subscribe on the Apple Podcast app. And if you really like us, you should definitely leave us a review. Hey, welcome to Big Hormone Enneagram. We are uh, continuing to uh, just lavish praise on my book and Mm -hmm. um, working with the instincts uh, and especially the blind spot. Last call, we talked about um, what I'm calling the instinctual approaches, which are qualities of energy and attention and qualities of excitation and ways our psychological boundaries move and shift and change as we pursue our instinctual needs. Last call, we talked uh, about the self-preservation and sexual approaches. Uh, This time, we are taking some of that conversation and putting it here in this podcast episode. but just as a reminder, what these are, are ways that we approach where our tension, energy, boundaries are organized in pursuing instinctual needs. And depending on our instinctual stacking, we typically overuse the approaches of our dominant instinct and underuse the approaches of our blind spot. And so a big part of working with the blind spot is to work on the blind spot instinct that you already have. So for example, if I'm social blind, which I am, I can't uh, do somebody else's version of the social instinct. I have to find the social instinct already in me and I have to find it in the body. And I find it by bringing sensation to, and presence with sensation to the ways in which my body responds to other people. And so these are the social approaches. Uh, before we continue with this conversation, we have a couple of plugs. Uh, Emika, if you wanna get your thing. So we, uh, when I say we, Enneagrammer launched a new subscription service. People over the years have been asking us to uh, release some kind of course or content around typing. We did a pot, we recorded a podcast, me, David and Joseph, uh, about learning how to type. And so the past month we had been releasing videos every week centered on typing certain celebrities and sort of people getting a chance to see the process of how we go about typing. And so if you are interested, go to anygrammar.com. It's on the front page. It's $19 a month. And there's a hour long video released every week, along with uh, a group and discounts and a bunch of other content around typing. So $19 a month, anygrammar.com. Go check it out. And uh, 
David is working on. Do you want to talk about your TriFix thing, David? Yeah, so I put together a TriFix booklet that John's going to be doing an intro for. It's um, I've occasionally released, you know, bits and pieces of it uh, in rough draft form. It's kind of like Venn diagram kind of uh, approach to the trifixes where you look at each of the stems, the combinations of two types, and and I'm describing the qualities of two types at a time in each of the uh, trifixes, and it gives you somewhat of an impressionistic kind of uh, gut sense of what the trifixes are and what their tone is and style and vibe and so forth. So that's what it's about. It'll be available on enneagrammer.com pretty soon. The social approaches um, I call availability, signaling, and navigating. And again, these are how we approach uh, getting our needs for relatedness, belonging, and uh, vocation. So uh, availability is opening one's personal boundaries to invite and receive others. Attention is found outward and open with receptivity to who or what is entering our field of attention. Uh, this includes being receptive to the inner life of others, like where other people are at. And it's really like relaxing your attention and opening your boundaries. It's very like, <laughs> you, like social blinds do not realize how rigid and hard and thick our boundaries are. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, how are. specific, like our, the sexual and self-pressed together, it's like, my attention is here, boom. My attention is here, boom, boom, boom. And to actually sort of like, like uh, relax and, and like open the attention is enormous. Uh, and that's how people feel like someone is approachable or not. Uh, and self social blinds like are <laughs> really unapproachable to other people. <laughs> Beth has uh, been mentioning that she has really open boundaries. She's self-pressed blind. So people always come up to her to comment and talk to her. And this is something I noticed OD experienced as well. Social or uh, self-pressed blind six people just immediately want to interact with this person. Mm -hmm. But he's noticed that ever since we started hanging out and going places that people never come up to her anymore because of me. <laughs> and, and I've talked to some of my other friends, you know, did like, she thank you? <laughs> she just thinks it's funny. Uh, well, I talked to um, Chisar, who's uh, my self-pressed social six friend. She, I, you know, what her experience of hanging out with me is like, and she's like, yeah, she actually enjoys that no one ever bothers us because I have very extreme fuck off energy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is, yeah, yeah it's interesting to, to look at like what the sensation practice would be to relax that. I'm sure there's some eight stuff there, of course, but to relax that sense of just being completely closed off. <laughs> well, it's like, I mean, even right now, like, kind of like without looking or moving your eyes or anything, just like almost like open your energy or move it. So it's like behind you and beside you, you know, like something so basic is just sort of like, it's that like, relax. Weird. yeah, <laughs> like, like sense behind you, you know, sense around you, sense below you, just like open it up. And it's so fucking basic, but like, it is really not intuitive for social blind. So overdoing it, especially if you're, this is especially if you're a, a social type, you can be dispersed, unfocused, have poor boundaries, being scattered. Uh, I have a social friend when we go to restaurants, uh, he loves interacting with the staff and it's like Ugh. some new person comes up and he's like talking to them and a new person comes up and it's like, 
where are you? It's like, cut it out, like focus mm. here if you want to talk to me or something, but don't talk to everybody, include people in the conversation. And and it's even like the fucking like, like uh, saying goodbye. Like when people who just don't just say, all right, goodbye. They like need to have like three, three uh, conversations to say goodbye to somebody. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you guys mean nuts. Um, so underdoing it primarily for us social blinds, but I think a social type could venture into this occasionally is being inaccessible, cold, closed, unapproachable, and lacking sensitivity to others. The next approach is signaling. This is sensing one's impact on others and the flow of an exchange. This involves conveying feelings and intentions appropriately to the, sensa- to the situation via body language. So like people who are weak and social don't realize how little their body is communicating. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and they don't realize how much of body is involved in communication. And so mm-hmm. it's like, this is facial signals. This is mo- the way you move, the way you open your arms or not, the way your shoulders are facing, the way your eye contact is relaxed and open, but still making contact. Uh, you're not boring a hole in somebody's forehead. Um, and neither are you closed off and like looking away. And this also extends too to like, like a social type might like wear a shirt of a band that they're into. And like, I remember I was doing a workshop in Denver and this woman who's a social type picked me up. She was like, I don't know if I'm sexual or social. And she had like fucking uh, a, a Beatles license plate, you know? And it was like, <laughs> you are signaling who you are. Yeah. <laughs> this is something that, that when we were developing and trying to figure out the collage exercise, that was a huge hump, learning hump for David and I of figuring out what the hell was going on with social collages because so much of social is signaling this is what i'm about this is what i'm interested in and mm-hmm. if you're social blind um one you don't know what the hell's going on and two if, if you're not getting the references it's sort of like excluding like i don't know what's going on here right um, and so without sexual a lot of these signals and symbols were just sort of like what the hell like you just someone is giving uh, like singing a song that in another language that you don't understand but um i just started to realize how much social was just it, it's imperative to let other people know what type of person you are like what right. you're, you know what you're into what you're about and i guess as a social blind i'm doing that also but i'm not uh conscious of it or i'm not even really shaping it and it's not really a cohesive message either <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> i was going like, to say it's not always correct Say more. Well, for instance, my friend Winona looked at y'all's headshots and she was like, these are terrible headshots. These people look like they're either mm-hmm. like she was like, John is either going to murder me with an axe or fuck me on a beach. And there's no in between. That's true. <laughs> and I'm like, you're not completely wrong, but there's a lot more like to that. She's like, all of these people look like miserable humans. That's the other thing, too, and it relates to what you're saying, John, about um, the body expressing um, social. And one thing about social lasts is that their eyes have a kind of dead quality. It's (laughs) like they're not alive. It's like they're not. And it's worse with my stacking. My stacking is the worst as far as that. Yeah, she specifically mentioned yours. Oh, yeah. No, (laughs) I'm dead person. And SPSX (laughs) looks like really dead. But um, sexual self-pres at least has that piercing thing. But it's still a quality of there's not, you know, light emitting in all directions. It's tunneling. You know what I mean? 
so th again, it's it's fascinating that whole thing of um, just how the face itself is kind of not lit up in a certain way when you're uh, social blind. Right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And like, I think you know, like people with sexual instincts are obviously signaling something, but it's about like my my sexual energy, whereas. Uh, and there's often like a lack of reference point and like part of the point of the sexual instinct is to distinguish yourself from others, you know, like what are my specific tail feathers, but like the mm -hmm. social instinct wants to give you some context for who and what I am. And so I think people who are social blind, uh, there's like little to no context and it's like kind of confusing to people. <laughs> there's no invitation. There's no invitation. And it's also <laughs> just, I mean, social is just. I'm an open, friendly person. Can you see it in my face? You know what I mean? Or just mm -hmm. some ver some variation on, on that. Like, you know, I'm not going to cause you harm or <laughs> whatever. Or at least like how to locate me, like how to put place yeah. me, how to, how to like giving you some clues about how to respond to me before you actually interact with me. Yeah. And social blind wants to give you fucking nothing. Yep. Yeah. From yeah, it's very frustrating. From like a social aid perspective, I can see how, you know, it is regardless of the stacking can be antisocial, hexad, whatever, but they're still shaping your perception of them and mm -hmm. saying, mm -hmm. forcing a certain, certain role and saying, this is who I am. And I don't expect you to like it, but at least it's painting a picture. At least this, this is who this person is. Whereas with social blind, it's just, um, it's kind of like. Are you into it? I mean, this is my sexual display. Are you into it? Or yeah, for right. sexual self press. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh these headshots on the Engrammer site are beautiful. I don't know what <laughs> <laughs> I think so. Um, is it because we're not smiling? Well, I think it's no. probably the smile, the lack of smile, but it's also just the fact that you're like staring through your eyebrows. I mean, Emika's looking down. Yeah. I think I, I picked a one of my most normal. <laughs> I, I don't have very many normal pictures of myself. I'm usually smelling vaginas or pointing to inappropriate parts of my body. <laughs> I don't. I don't know how to do a normal <laughs> at all. Yeah. Well, your friend's wrong. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, so overdoing signaling is like uh, oversharing. Uh, there's like a, a way of like making oneself a brand in a certain way or like really package yeah. oneself yeah there's a there's an it's impersonal even if the social instinct wants to be personal there's a mm -hmm. there's it's paradoxically coming across as very impersonal there's kind of a like a chatter quality and it can actually be literally chattering but it's this sort of like just a lot of signals and information and things like this but there's nothing of me in it anymore um it's all how to locate me but without a core and then so underdoing it it's also impersonal, but it's impersonal because I'm not having a voice. I am, there's an awkwardness. There's an, like, a, I'm not participating in this. I'm not here with you. Like, I'm not on the same page with you. I am constantly, like, unlocatable. And I, like, don't have a voice in a certain way. Like, literally being mute or, like, I'm not, I'm not showing up in some way withholding. Uh, and then lastly, the last approach is what I call navigating which is sensing the layers, boundaries, and nuances of social environments and circumstances. It brings texture to social context, which helps us recognize the mechanics of interpersonal dynamics, knowing one's place, role, or relationship within those dynamics. And so, you know, this is just kind of like, <laughs> I think of it as like 
sensing different currents of energy. It's like instead of social blindness can be like flattening it all. Yeah. And uh, social instinct is like, oh, these people are comfortable. These people are uncomfortable. They're arguing over there. But there's a flow of, en- of energy and exchange that I'm just naturally tracking that can be one-on-one or it can be group. But it's a way of seeing so much texture and information and, and, and um, trying to participate in it in some way of trying to not just totally ignore it or just put my own agenda over it, but it's like to relate or to use it or hone it or, or uh, be involved in it. This is the approach that I've been alluding to that hit me hard this year is not being able to see this for myself. And so, which is as a social blind, this thing of everyone has a representation of themselves, like an avatar that like, this is who I am that's out there in other people's minds and impressions of you and not recognizing that, you know, I have an impact on people in a, in a specific way. There's a way that I, I think I was thinking, I know this isn't true, but I'm just, I'm just like another person. I'm just mm-hmm. another, you know, like why would people react to me differently? But I mean, that sounds silly to say, cause I know that that's not true, but experientially I, I, I couldn't hold on to that, that I do have a specific impact on people. There is a specific avatar of Emika that exists in other people's minds. And I do have a role in people's lives. Like one example is like, I was, uh, I think halfway through college, I changed my major a couple of times and I didn't recognize until like maybe a decade later when I was talking to my sister, how much of an impact that they had on them as the, you know, as their older on your brother. family. Yeah. Just, I mean, on my family, my parents, I don't give a fuck. Like, but yeah. my younger sister who, you know, was looking up to her older brother who she went into engineering because I did. Um, mm. And so I just started traveling and doing whatever the fuck I wanted to do, which looking back had an impact on them. But I just couldn't hold on to the idea, even though yeah. I knew this, that they, I was influencing them as their older brother, that they were looking to me to, to take some cues as to how to make certain life choices and things like that. And yeah, that's another example of just not seeing myself or not seeing in ways that people are looking to me and taking cues from me. Uh, that, that whole world is just seems like, whoa. I relate to that big time. It's also interesting, the thing of who we are as people in you know the public eye and the whole thing of people um, bringing up the idea of us being a cult mm-hmm. of some kind and that whole thing of uh, it's it's a yeah i don't even i'm not really clear on even where i'm going with it but it's just that it's kind of like a social identifier they're assuming that we're doing something social here in the sense that w- that we must be invested in ourselves as gurus or something mm-hmm. and so and so why wouldn't we want to as social beings kind of use that power for in in a sort of political way to actually go higher and higher and have a certain role and be seen a certain way uh, and have a certain position relative to all of these people right anyway yeah well one aspect of what they're noticing is that maybe we're not paying attention to how much influence we do have over people. 
And so people yes. might be showing up and they're reacting to, because I mean, usually generally people who stick around with our stuff are people who are interested and activated by what we're doing. So if you walk into a room and the only people in that room are people who are into whatever the people who are leading that room are up to, then you would just, you, if you're a social, someone who has social, you'd have to assume, well, everybody in here is in a cult. <laughs> right. In a way, it's like, people are noticing that we do have influence on people. And even though we're kind of downplaying or not recognizing that role, people are wondering, well, why the hell are, are people into their shit? Um, there must be some kind of weird cult that they've got going on. <laughs> yeah. And then it, it's the, that gets into the thing too of what, well, so who are these guys? And then we sort of don't know how to package ourselves as I am. Who, we, who we are. Right. <laughs> so yeah. That's a weird one too. Which means it's got to be a cult because if you can't put it anywhere, then it's some that's right. Esoteric it's weird shit. <laughs> and it's going to be a, a dark, it's going to be a really dark cult if they don't even, you know, if we can't even see their bio everywhere with a big <laughs> smiley face or something. <laughs> <laughs> so, real quick, overdoing it is being overly bound to like a real or perceived social structures, uh, being role oriented, formal, overly self-conscious. Uh, you know, it's like letting the perceived and often imagined structure of the social interaction dictate who and what I am and how I behave and underdoing it is missing cues, being inappropriate, ruse, rude, excuse me, obtuse, unplugged and purposelessness. You know, there's a sense of the social instinct imbues us with a sense of purpose and a sense of uh, wanting to have a purpose and a role to play and a, something to bring to others. And when we're uh, out of touch with this approach, it's sort of like, huh? You know, like, yeah. like I have to be here in some, some way that means something to other people. So these are the instinctual approaches. You know, again, these are uh, using physical sensation to get directly in touch with the energy and quality of the instinct rather than approaching through descriptions or something like that. And having some kind of sensation-based practice is really key to uh, anchoring into these instincts in a real living way. The events of this year, I think I've mentioned this already, just like that sense of tapping into um, my own sense of who I am. It really gives you a sense of vocation, like this purpose, like, okay, if this is my role, at least recognizing one's role and what you represent, you can kind of paint a picture to yourself. This is who I am. And if you have a picture of who you are, then it gives your life or your actions a sense of purpose. Like, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. Exactly. Yeah, because like uh, well, people who are social blind can have this kind of aimlessness to them uh, because they're not getting this feedback, basically. They're not tuned into it. And so, you know, as I, I've said a couple times right now, like you have to work with the instinct that you already have. Like you already have a social instinct. You already have a sexual instinct. You already have a self-present instinct. And instead of trying to force it to look like something else, it doesn't matter what it looks like. It's a matter of seeing like what is actually inside you already that you can draw on and work with and grow. And that's the only, like being in touch with your own sense of sexual, own sense of self-present, own sense of social is the only way that you're actually ever going to have a relationship with those instincts. And as we said uh, in the previous episode, the transformation that is possible when you are in touch with your blind spot is impossible to uh, convey unless you go through it. 
All right. So we want to talk today and now about actual practices of working with and integrating the blind spot. You know, one of the things just to say is that it is difficult to just, you know, like we could just list a bunch of things and it's like the person listening could do them or not do them. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there are things that I would reserve for like a workshop, even if it was online or in person to do with people so people could get a felt sense of the instinctual energies. And even if it's your dominant instinct, uh, that doesn't mean that you have a clear sense of what the instinctual energy feels like. You might have a clear sense of what it's like when it's distorted, but you might not have a, a sense of what is instinct without the interference of my normal neurotic personality bullshit. So part of working with the instincts is getting a sense of what instinct feels like on its own, so to speak, what it feels like without the interference of personality and all our individual neurotic stories and emotional knots and judgments and biases for them. So with that being said, I'll start with uh, self-pres. You know, the first thing about working with the self-preservation instinct is that it is literally just begins with sensing your body. So we talked about the approaches uh, for self-preservation, and they're all variations on the theme of just being centered and grounded in your own body. Uh, And that means like just feeling the weight of your body and the way that your body occupies space. I'm self-preservation middle, but you know, I have two withdrawn types and withdrawn wing uh, in my type. And I remember learning that I had a strong smell. <laughs> and, like, that's not necessarily like a bad smell, apparently, you know, you know, maybe it's terrible. But uh, the person I was with was like, No, you just you just have a strong natural smell. And I realized I was taking up space, whether I had a I liked it or not. And, uh, you know, that sense that we are taking up space, is something, even if we're an assertive type, is something really important to land in. Like an assertive type may think they have no problem taking up space, but they might actually be pushing themselves, like overcompensating for a feeling like I can't take up space. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Like they might be being a, being a big energy as a compensation for either not feeling very big or for overriding some sense of I shouldn't be here. Um, you know, we talk a lot about eights as, as, uh, you know, eight is part of the body center as a form of dissociation is this pushing. That's a form of not actually being in contact with my real sense of taking up space. So that's like, that's the grounding piece. But then the sensing piece, the sensing approach of self-preservation is like literally sensing the body. And uh, I think we talked last time about like, if you're listening to this, like squeeze your fist, squeeze it harder and let it go. And that's physical sensation and so obvious, but when it comes to anything inner and anything about inner work, uh, no one gave us any fucking training. So we all have to submit to being humiliated and infantilized because when we get in touch with our blind spot, even if self-presence or sensation is not our blind spot or sensation is not an issue for us generally, um, we're relearning to be a person from a point of like with with this information of sensation or information of our blind spot that we didn't have before and it brings us into feeling like we're infantilized it brings us to feeling like we're kids again 
in something that we should have known how to do. Like if we're sexual blind and we've been having sex our whole lives and then we get in touch with our sexual instinct, it's sort of like I was kind of being like, I wasn't like an adult having sex. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it's like, yeah. it's, it's like I was using other instincts to compensate for sexual instinct having sex. Uh, you know, same thing with social. It's like we, you, you can be an adult and have these very flimsy, superficial relationships that are like I'm using who I like, who I kind of feel good around in some weird way, or I'm turned on by, but I'm not actually connecting to anybody. Yeah. Uh, and so there's there's a lot of humiliation. So with sensing, it's like literally sensing the body, but it's also like sensing how food impacts you. Um, like how does it feel tracking? How does it actually feel after I eat X, Y, or Z, or I don't eat? Like, how are things actually affecting me and tracking that and like making that connection? Because it's like, I've known people that have an amazing lack of being able to recognize uh, like, oh, that there might be mildly lactose intolerant. Mm, Yeah. (laughs) Uh, With a lot of women I've known, uh, sometimes they have a difficult time recognizing that their, their period maybe what is affecting their mood. And that might sound like a very like chauvinist, like, oh, this is your period kind of thing, but that's not what I'm trying to say. But I've been like in relationships and things where suddenly there's like a like a, a difference in mood and it has to do some different different hormone stuff going on. But the actual making the mental conscious connection between the two mm-hmm. um, would happen in retrospect rather than in the moment. Mm-hmm. And so how do you keep track of the way these different things that are happening in my body aren't just sort of um disconnected unrelated unrelated they're they're part of one organism and so that kind of awareness happens not through the mind has to obviously make some connections but it starts with the body sensing itself um and then lastly with the self-preservation blind spot one of the things or more self-preservation approach uh in people with this blind spot is that they don't give a lot of uh, focused t- attention to certain practical tasks. And so somebody who's self-preservation blind may have a hard time. I, I think I used this example last time, but like figuring out how to fix the piping under the sink when it goes, when something breaks very quickly into somebody who has a low self-preservation instinct. Uh, it's kind of like this little kid voice comes up inside and is like, I can't do it. Or I need mom and dad to do it or something. And what's going on unconsciously for somebody self-preservation blind is that they do want mom and dad, literally or metaphorically, to fix something for them. There's mm-hmm. a way that connection is maintained unconsciously through being helpless. And so to engage a more adult uh, quality of attention is to keep one's attention in one place or on one task or you know, in one's stomach in one's uh, lungs, like knowing how my breathing is affecting my state, how my digestion is affecting my state, like just that kind of maintaining preservation energy uh, to my own organism is like so basic, but so often forgotten. Yeah, that that just got me thinking that, okay, so self-pres blind to um, neglecting self-pres is sort of like making oneself a child, like someone has to take care of you. I'm wondering if there's a certain kind mm. of childishness that shows up with the different blind spots because um, sexual blind seems like the most responsible. Yes. Were, yeah. You know what I mean? Like it seems yeah. like the most adult, um, <laughs> which yeah. 
I don't know if that's accurate, but it does feel that way, like the most sober. Uh, and then social blind is like the black sheep of the family. Yeah, well, I, I think like, you know, speaking of like a sexual blind spot as the most adult, it's not really that adult because mm. it's adult that's adult based on exclusion, mm. based on excluding, uh, you know, it, it's like the kid who tries to be like a, 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 a student uh like all a student or something like yeah you know it's it's Rude. still trying to win some kind of uh approval or something external to it it's not mature you know what i'm yeah. saying based in like uh like a false self-control or something yeah it's like you know i just i'm getting that hit of that archetype of that kid that's like in fifth grade but they're like bring all their books everywhere because they're like mm-hmm. i have to be like a little adult too prematurely because i'm trying to basically earn a certain kind of approval mm-hmm. And I don't know necessarily if in sexual blind, it's always about approval or something like that, but there's a, it's like a premature set way I need to be that is not, and it's not come from a, a place of maturity. It's not come from a place of, of self-ownership. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's like a lot of the self-sexual blindness is a lack of trust in oneself. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a lack of trust that if I pursue this thing, it will, I will, um, not just be like fucking destroyed by it or that it will be enlivening or, oh, it's always got to be practical. Like mm-hmm. I can't not just be practical in this moment or I can't let myself off the hook in any way. It's not, it's not a mature adult's engagement with the world. And I'm not saying sexual blind spot is particularly immature. I'm saying that they're all fucking immature. Yeah. I guess it's a, a, a better way to say it is different flavors of being stuck in childhood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Something I've been like, this is with the book. If you know, if you read the book, there's a lot of early childhood development of the instinctual systems, and uh, where I think things from the personality kind of go wrong and things like that. You know, and I go through the separation individuation stages, like Margaret Mahler's separation individuation. And um, I think that there are correspond. So those stages, separation individuation, describe the building of the personality in early childhood through distinct stages and think distinct time periods that are meant to accomplish, uh, accomplish in air quotes, but like accomplish certain uh, psychological structures and certain new realizations of autonomy. But I think that there are probably corresponding stages of a kind of individuation that happen in adolescence that there's almost little to no recognition of that have to do with a, like a second, like, Separation individuation is described as a kind of psychological birth. And I think that there is like a social birth or a second psychological birth that happens in early adolescence. You know, it's, mm-hmm. that makes sense. And because one of the things I'm struck by uh, is how many adults are stuck in what I would consider like a 13 year olds, 12 year olds, 14 year olds sense of a social order or sexuality or self regulation. I can also remember in junior high, that was, and I've heard other people say the same thing, that in junior high school, everybody just suddenly broke off into really strictly um, adhered to cliques and Mm -hmm. groups that they were part of Mm -hmm. right at that age. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I think that there's a lot to that. And I think that um, that would be something to really uncover because that time of life is not really recognized as like a, a new birth. Mm-hmm. 
you know, it's sort of like, oh, kids better get their act together. <laughs> um, but you, you're getting a whole new sense of self through that period. It's a, it's a whole new psychological birth. So anyway, it'd be fascinating to kind of figure more out. It's interesting in the context of, you know, puberty and uh, sexual reproduction coming to maturity mm -hmm. and the sexual instinct relating to rebirth. Um, right. ult ultimately, though, there's a it's sort of birthing you into a social space, you might say, a new social space at that age. Yeah, exactly. And part of why this sort of uh, tangent is relevant is because I do think that this age period we're speaking of, like early adolescence, is when a lot of this blind spot stuff starts to wound. And is when it starts to like, like I was a social blind little kid and I don't think it really fucking mattered that much, you know? Yeah. Like it didn't really matter until I became more of a social being, mm -hmm. social organism uh, in early adolescence. And then I started paying for it in ways I didn't realize. Not to say that that's true with everybody, but I think that's when a, a new quality of suffering emerges. And I think that's where these kind of approaches, like there's almost no support or consciousness from parents or the social environment around how to tap into these instinctual currents, so to speak, these, these like resources within our own bodies and languages within our own bodies. And so we compensate by using the two instincts that we have a little bit of traction with and using those two to address the third missing aspect. And it creates this, you know, this really kind of fucked up system uh, in adolescence that just continues throughout life unless we do a lot of work on it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Anyway, I've been blasting a lot. Is there any, uh, anything before I go into sexual blind spot? No. Oh. Mm -mm. So, uh, I'm going to be very like, uh, size heteronormative white guy, whatever. But I do think that, you know, when it comes to the sexual instinct, there is a masculine polarity and a feminine polarity that you know may or may not have anything to do with your physical gen physical sex or anything like that. But I think that people of all flavors uh, that there is a kind of need to relate consciously to a masculine and feminine energy within us. And so when I've worked with I've worked with uh, mostly just men and women, and mostly just straight, but I've worked with uh, other sexualities. And I think what I'm about to say will apply to basically everybody, but I, you know, I'm an idiot, so I could be wrong. Um, but I'll say is that in working with the sexual blind spot, there's going to be a lot of wounding around feeling boring, around feeling unattractive, and feeling who and what I naturally am, so to speak, is either dangerous or untrustworthy or messy or gross. And there's a lot of feeling of needing to cover myself in one way or another. And that's like, when I say that, people who are sexual blind may not recognize that in themselves. And so take it with a grain of salt, but also don't be like, oh, I f this fucking guy. Um, I think that there is a lot of covering. And so, and a lot of overlaying different kinds of expectations and, you know, things that serve the stability of self-pres and things that serve the appropriateness the social instinct and Do you so you mean like covering by like hiding different forms of hiding but that okay. may not look like hiding okay 
like i think i mean last time we talked i think we talked about like um fuck boys and like um you know hooking up with people that like don't actually turn you on that much so that you're not really like deeply impacted or something and and that's one kind of hiding but you know it could be like the way you dress it could be dressing in a way that not just just covering up your body but like covering up some kind of personal self-expression does that make sense yeah i think people might hear what you're saying and think oh you mean like i'm covering my body but you're saying like sexual is about showing those instinctual pheromones a thing that is going to be possibly provocative to someone and sexual blind is just covering that shit up and that's you know we mentioned on the last call that anything professional is basically sexual blind because you professional means you fucking flatten out anything that would you know spike Mm -hmm. on Mm -hmm. on the scale you know just like flatten it all out and be appropriate right and and fuck boys are hiding from their own kind of uh interior sexual selectivity or Mm -hmm. something like that is that part of it Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, when you're really genuinely attracted to somebody as our fucking soul intercourse novel, you know, audio novels have been about (laughs) is like, you're changed by them because there's a chemical reaction. There's an, (laughs) there's something happening when you're really genuinely attracted to somebody. And so if you can keep that numb or at bay, you don't have to change much and you don't have to encounter the, the depth of sexuality that does, I think, touch your soul, you know, like, that I think we all recognize that on some level that the right kind of sexual expression or encounter or relationship can go all the way down to someone's core. And so keeping even the thing that, that could know that it's being touched in that way, kind of scrambled or numb or confused through different partners, you know, is a way to hide. And so, uh, anyway, but the, the self, like we all have our self judgments around our blind spot. And one thing that is really important about the sexual instinct when it's blind is that it's not about being like, oh, I'm just sexy now. Uh, and it's not necessarily about even feeling sexy, but there's a way that when, uh, when the sexual instinct is online for us, when it's integrated, that we're kind of like, we invest in ourselves we're kind of fascinated by ourselves and it will feel like narcissism to a lot of sexual blinds, but it's like, like when you're feeling yourself, it's not just that you're like fascinated by the object that you are, but is that you're like, Whoa, this is turning on. What does this mean about me? Right? Like something affects you in a certain way and you want to follow like, not just the thing, but you also kind of want to understand like, why does this grip me in this way? And so there is a kind of fascination, a kind of being turned on by oneself. And everybody's got their own different things that turn them on. So it's not just like, like some people have a lot of problems with their physical body. And they're like, I don't, I'm not, I don't have an attractive body. And it's like, you may not have an attractive body. It's probably attractive to some people, but like some, you know, I'm not going to pretend like everybody's attractive, but there are things about yourself that I'm sure actually are very fascinating to yourself. There's ways of being turned on by yourself and amused and, and having pleasure in yourself. Big part of the sexual instinct is making choices based on a kind of pleasure, but it's not just like, you know, uh, like 
pleasure you get from masturbating or something. But it's like, again, this sort of turned on, like enlivened thing that does have the sense of being uh, unuseful or un, um, like leads nowhere. And that's part yeah. of the point. Yeah. The more useless, the more, probably the more pleasurable it is or the more effective it is. I yeah, have the a more attracting it is mm-hmm. like that. That's, that's how it works in nature is like the, the, the sexiest features in animals are generally speaking, absolutely useless. And it's like the more useless, the better I am. Uh, I have a, uh, a, a friend who uh, I've been working with, with his blind spot. And I hope he doesn't mind me doing this, but he told me he loves pine cone and he called them wooden flowers. And Aww. I thought that was amazing. He's a nine, and uh, what a precious man! And yeah, and and I was, you know, I was like, what What do you like about pine cones? And he, he just went on about like the little worlds they represent. And so he has an Instagram account called Sprouting Woods uh, that I recommend you follow. And he has these very beautiful poetic things he says about what he sees in the shape in the in the in the pine cone and what it represents. And like, you know, this is this. It's just like something pleasurable. It's something interesting, and it's useless but it's, it's producing beauty. And that's like, that's what the sexual instinct is about. And so what I found is that I've, for men, uh, like some of y'all have, I think all, all three of y'all have been in Enneagram, um, conference workshops I've done where like I turn on pony or something and have everybody, uh, move their hips around. (laughs) It's really funny to watch old men try to dance to that. (laughs) Right. What's funny about it is because especially heterosexual men have such little experience with uh, their pelvis and like actually inhabiting the sensations of their pelvis. And, you know, how good a lover can you be if you can't be in your pelvis? So to like really explore and like move and get comfortable, like uh, rotating and breathing into your pelvis and then you're going to feel like an idiot. Um but man, like the rigidity around the pelvis is so intense and crazy. And the only way you can fuck that way is just like a jackhammer because there's no sensation there. There's no movement. There's no fluidity. There's no responsiveness to a woman's body coming from your pelvis. Like your pelvis is your pelvis and your genitals, as, as, at least as a heterosexual man, you know, that, that they are sense organs. Like they respond when you're walking down the street and there's somebody there's like somebody that you're attracted to your your genitals it's not necessarily getting hard but it's like there's a response going on all the time and that's really valuable information yeah so what i've done is have workshops where i've had uh everybody not just men but starts to just slowly rotate their pelvis and breathe into it and i kind of have people imagine that their pelvis is like a bowl and that in the bowl there's a ball ball bowl and you're moving the ball around like just kind of trying to move it gently and kind of get some sense of the space there and then gradually i start turning it up and i turn on pony or something like that uh to get people really moving around and you're gonna feel ridiculous you're gonna feel stupid and just do it and explore that um one thing i'll say about like at least from the hetero male point of view one of the fears I think that men have about being in their pelvis is that they're going to be feminine. Mm-hmm. And it's not out of, I mean, maybe for some guys, but it's not out of a deep misogyny. It's out of like this, this, the, 
you know, growing up as a straight man, at least like everything is trying to take away your sense of masculinity. Like, like you're just surrounded by wolves that are constantly trying to rip something from you and you have very little to offer anybody. And your masculinity seems like one of the only things that you have that makes you a, a valid human being. So this sense of the feminine, uh, there's, there's a, there's a, a fear there that I don't think is just nothing. And so, you know, I love to dance. And one of the things I, I teach uh, my male friends is like, if you just sort of give in to music and just like let yourself go, you're going to look like an idiot. You're going to look ridiculous. And it's like, it's very sexy when women kind of like give into the music and, and dance like that. But when men do, they look absolutely silly. <laughs> and so part of it is to have that feminine energy that's sort of, um, a little bit uncontained and wild and responsive to, you know, responsive to music or responsive, but it's got to be held within a masculine energy in your, like, there's got to be a masculine presence with your feminine presence inside. And so what I mean is like, if you watch somebody like Prince dance, Prince, uh, his hips and stuff are going crazy, but he's really there and he's very focused and maybe his mm-hmm. shoulders, like, even if they're moving, there's still a directedness to them. And so there's got to be a, a, a union of masculine and feminine inside for at least, you know, that helps bring out the sexual instinct because it doesn't just feel like it's going to shoot everywhere. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is uh, interesting. This is another system, but at some point we'll probably have the creators of the objective personality system on here to talk about it. But I found, I thought this was really interesting because you're talking about dancing and, um, People inherently, and this is regardless of when, when someone's gender, they have inherently masculine or feminine movement styles. Mm. And so, I mean, what men might be experiencing is that they just feeling uncomfortable with dancing because they don't, they're not comfortable with how they might look. But some men have feminine dancing styles. Like mm-hmm. Prince would be mm-hmm. an example of someone who has like a lead feminine dancing style. And then some men, uh, who might even seem feminine in, in other ways have masculine dancing styles. Like Michael Jackson is an example of, uh, of like a feminine sort of guy who has a very masculine, punchy uh, dancing style. So it's like there's so many different styles of dance, but I think what men might be reacting to is just the you know that sexual blind thing where I I've never even given into music. But even if you're giving mm-hmm. into music as a man. Um, the way that music expresses itself, regardless of even if you're a man or a woman, can be expressed in a a feminine or masculine dance style, depending on what someone's physical orientation or style might be. That particular thing was one of the things that really got me excited about uh, that objective personality system is that it, it's got these designations, FF, like double feminine, MM, double masculine, and then MF, and then FM. And oddly enough, uh, there was just a brief clip that our friend Akram sent me that was on dance styles of those combinations of gender, uh, which again can show up in men or women. And it predicted my particular way that I dance. Mm. I'm I'm MF, which the style is basically just to sum it up, is to do masculine stuff, but it's like to make it a joke. 
It's like, oh, I mean, I've yeah. done it. I, I do it yeah. with, like Nancy's experienced yeah. it at the conference. It's like it's I'm very being, annoying. Yes, it's very <laughs> annoying. It's like assertive, but ha ha, I was kidding and just fucking with you. As opposed to like double, like I think Michael Jackson is might double be masculine. Double masculine. So it's like right. fucking serious. Like I'm not kidding around at all. That kind of yeah, thing. That, anyway, that, that was. Um, I don't know because you definitely have masculine because uh, the numbers are describing uh, a, a different orientation. Masculine is describing like what functions, cognitive functions you're punchy on, like you're pushy with. Mm -hmm. And so if somebody is double masculine, that, that means that they have a masculine sensory function and a masculine um, external decider function, which is like the tribe function. So someone like Michael Jackson, I believe has like masculine TE and masculine um, I think SC or something like that. And so that means those two functions are really pushy. And so their movements um, interesting. become really pushy. And so you, you probably, I think you have one of the masculine functions. Uh, but be there's FM. Yeah, maybe. probably FM is what mm -hmm. I think. Um, and yeah. like Prince would be an example of someone who is uh, FM. Like there's some punch, yeah. but it's got like, there's a flowiness to it, but there's a pushy, uh, there's a pushiness to that follows the flowiness. That makes sense. What yeah. What about me? Uh, I don't know. You're pretty fucking aggressive. You pulled me on the dance floor. Like, <laughs> Never mind the entire night, John and I danced. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely got masculine in there somewhere. But I mean, the yeah. point is that I think people's hesitance to dance is just not even giving in to the music which is kind of like a sexual instinct thing but in terms of guys being afraid to dance or feeling like they look feminine some dudes even masculine guys do have a feminine dance style like the rock is an example a super burly masculine guy who has like a feminine kind of a feminine dance style i think he's double he's he's feminine feminine right he's right like right yeah, double feminine and so it's like and then you can have like a michael jackson who seems like you know, really feminine guy, but he has a very masculine mm -hmm. dance style. So it's just, you know, dance is going to look different, but people are just not willing to be taken by the music, but it's going to look different depending on what you got going on. Back to the blind spot, sexual blind spot thing. What, I, what I've had uh, female friends do is dance in front of a mirror and like check themselves out. And, you know, even like to masturbate to themselves in the mirror just to be like turned on by their own energy mm -hmm. and um that quality uh you know can be a real like first of all you're experiencing your sexual energy full on but you're safe because you're with just yourself yeah and and getting a sense of like what the flame and the contours of the flame of your your sexual flame feel like and how it expresses and you know just giving it some some airtime in the privacy of your own experience uh, is really important. It's just like, then you can see who can, who, who can meet it. And part of the uh, distrust sometimes of a sexual blind spot is because they don't listen to their sexual blind, their sexual instinct, which is that it has its own discriminating quality. Sometimes they've had sexual blind spot. People have had experiences of, of being sexual people that they didn't really have a sexual connection with that can make an, an added distrust. And it's not just because it's like, uh, like, oh, it's been dangerous, but it's just maybe just bad sexually, you know, like just not knowing how to figure out like 
how that piece works or, or somebody that I really respect and admire. I like a lot. I really love, but I'm just not like, I don't want to like fucking eat for dinner, you know? Feeling that hook with someone and feeling complete, like, you know, that blind spot, like springs up and, and you have an overreaction to it. Like, Oh my God. And it feels like it's going to tear the whole house down and not feeling like they're equipped to deal with, you know, what happens when Mm -hmm. I am hooked by someone, what happens when I am super into somebody like it can they just so unprepared for that event yes. that when it does happen it just like shut it down run away you know exactly yeah well said so yeah giving like letting yourself experiment with yourself in that in that sense and style like men i don't think are turned on by watching themselves masturbate you know they're not <laughs> <laughs> I don't, have you I don't seen yourself <laughs> and any of the women that want to do that you know masturbation thing um you, you know in front David. of the mirror and and videotape it and send it to me that's that would be just perfectly fine right. it's a new big hormone service that we're offering yeah. yes dark you dark arts academy and, you know just yeah I'm, dark arts academy i'm the point man on that one <laughs> <laughs> Super secret special sued. service. <laughs> we're, we have plenty of disclaimers and limitations. Uh, anything else about the sexual blind spot that you can think of? Oh, um, it's not directly related, but I have a story. Yeah, here, let's do it. Um, so, you know, I spent the last weekend in Nashville for a bachelorette, not my own. And we went to a male strip club which I wasn't particularly excited about because, you know, men. Um, but <laughs> What? <laughs> I mean, once you've seen a woman hang from a pole by her butt yeah. cheeks, no, you I know, bet. it just doesn't do it for you. Um, but I got pulled on stage. Oh. And um, I, I'll tell you what, nothing puts you in, in touch with your sexual instinct quite like that. Um <laughs> A man pulled me on stage and danced all over me and flipped me upside down onto his shoulders and um, humped me a lot. So that was pretty fun. It was, it was fun. It was entertaining. Would recommend 10 out of 10. Spent a lot of money that night. Anyway, that's my story. Social. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Social. Yeah. That one. Uh, that's the one that we need to work on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The one that doesn't apply to y'all at all. <laughs> Yeah, Why did would somebody, we ever work on it? Didn't it's somebody <laughs> didn't somebody just post in the group about like this thing where they like realized that hearing the last episode and hearing our social blindness, they like understood us now and didn't hate us so much or something? Yeah, I was yep. like, oh yeah, we finally humanized ourselves. We're worth considering as human beings with faults, just like anyone else. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> so uh, I I recall like in this week people were talking instinct stuff in the group and um someone asked like how do you sense social instinct like how do you like how is social instinct located in the body and just like the other instincts like you're impacted by the presence of other people you know even just the basic way that we also recognize that we're either drained or energized by being around other people or specific people or whatever that just like there is a whole uh fucking kaleidoscope of impressions coming through the sexual instinct coming through the self-present instinct there's likewise a kaleidoscope of impressions coming through the social instinct and we have just been uh really well trained to immediately go into our minds about the social instinct like even people who are social dominant 
generally speaking, there's like, you know, it's, it's easy to skip over the I'm sensing, feeling, internalizing this interaction on a body level and going and, and getting cognitive about it. But nonetheless, like we immediately respond to people uh, and their impressions, like instinctively, we respond through the body. And in any interaction, we are unconsciously and automatically engaging all this different information. Like, is this a person older than me, younger than me? Is this, um, you know, is, am I attracted to this person? Are they um, a person in some kind of position of social power? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, what's the power dynamic? All this kind of shit. Uh, what's appropriate, what's not appropriate here. And so we're gauging that and we're adjusting our boundaries naturally to that. So like if we're attracted to somebody, I know it's more sexual, but even still, when we're intimate with somebody, I'll say, uh, you know, that sense of boundary closes and focuses. It's not as hard and rigid as a sexual instinct, but it's like, it's like, it's like soft blankets coming around you. You know, it's like the energy field is denser, but it's still it's soft. And it's, there's still a way that, uh, your energy is extending itself in some way. Like you're giving somebody signals, you're giving somebody something with your body language so they feel invited to also give something of themselves and there's some meeting in the middle. And this is going on all the fucking time. So the social blind spot is about sensing. It's sensing how your energy and attention are impacted by other people, how your energy and intention are impacted by your own solitude. And um, being willing and able to to tap into how people are affecting you when you're around them. So people who are blind and social, it's not just that we don't sense these things. There's a resistance to sensing them. We are resisting being affected by other people. There's a lot of distrust in other people just naturally. And... Um, there is a way that we feel our our autonomy and even our sexual attractiveness will be compromised or run over or exploited or somehow pulverized or destroyed or molested, you know, whatever kind of horrible word you want to use, if we are even aware how other people affect us. Yeah. There is a that that workshop, the last one we were at at IEA was like the first time that I, I really felt the horrific, like a, the horror of the social instinct, social blind spot. Yeah. We did that. We did that exercise where um, we had everyone get into, well, starting off, like get into small groups, like three people, like the two people next to you, just three. And then, so groups of three and just standing next to each other. And then we did that for a little bit just, you know, just being around each other and then find another group of three. So now you've got a group of six and just stand around in a circle. I think at this point, were we touching each other? I think we were touching yeah. each other. Oh, I had yeah. a real problem we with that. Hands. Yeah. I had a real problem with that. Um, <laughs> just uh, initially I was like, this is okay. There's three people touching me, six people touching me. All right. I'm starting to get it really uncomfortable. And then we yep. doubled it to like 12 and I was like, get me out of here. I was so grossed on like on a physical level. I just yeah, felt same. completely out of place, completely awkward, completely like skin. You know, that's sensation of like, get off of me, like get like just delete this situation. You know, it was a real visceral experience of what I guess I'm doing all the time. So right. it's not open to being, yeah. you know, being it was t- horrifying. And we ended up with everybody in a circle. 
And that was like excruciating to me. I just like, get away from me, all of you. Totally. Totally. <laughs> totally. One thing I want to say is that I had a hard time recognizing my own social blindness because when I was trying to figure out my instinct stacking, because I was like, I don't seem to have any problem making friends. And um, I had to look back on like, yeah, you're comfortable with these people. You've created a box that says, these are the people that I feel comfortable and free with that I can communicate with. We have some kind of a thing and I'm, I'm, I can connect with anyone within this box. Like, you know, this podcast is like a box and people might be listening to this and like oh Emma is a really interactive guy and then and then they find me in some other context and they realize like it's not, not so at all not so much at all <laughs> absolutely not but um uh yeah just not seeing that I'm not open to being affected by people that I haven't passed through the filter of sexual mm-hmm. and self-press mm-hmm. yeah absolutely so even though that sounds like, like it's, it's not like the solution then is let me be open and affected by everything. Like <laughs> that's not going to work, but, and you know, it's like you start with who's in my box already. Like who can I allow myself to feel affected by and touched by? And can I open up just a little bit more, not necessarily to them, but open up more to the impressions I'm having about their effect on me. Also, I wanted to say too about, you know, that exercise going back to that, like when it opened up to like everybody in the room, arms around each other. And I was having that disgusted response, <laughs> you know, a, a social dominant could hear those, hear me say that and um, maybe even experience that same thing in the same way in, in the words that I just said, you know what I'm saying? Because mm-hmm. part of social dominance is actually being particular about social oh yeah right Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. so that could be confusing i just wanted to clarify um i'm not sure the way to make it more specific to my social lastness but it's something like the sensation of i don't want to know what i have in common with any of these people yes and I want to get, you know, it's, I, I don't, I don't want to even try. I don't know how to do this. And there's nothing of value that's going to come of me finding some kind of commonality with these people. Right. Like, for yeah. example, Joseph would absolutely have. He would never do that. It. Yeah, he would have hated that exercise. But I don't think he would have hated necessarily being in the room and not having to be in that circle, like just, you know, being around people, he's energized by that. But I think as social blind, there's sort of like completely blocking out the possibility that um, people and strangers have an effect on you. So the sense was, the disgust was coming from, I don't know what's going on here. I don't know why we're doing this. And, you know, um, so it's kind of like, you're not even sensitive. It's not even like, Oh, I hate these people or I don't want to be around these people. It's more like, I don't know why this is happening. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Yeah. And it's, it's like confused. (laughs) Why do people do this? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Cause what, like, so the exercise every time when I was like, um, Julie Harris, who I do New York Enneagram with, and I did a presentation at the IEA, the international Enneagram conference or whatever. And yeah, I had people hold hands and and all this. And then the point is not necessarily that like social instinct is about liking this. Like <laughs> it's not that at all, but it's right. getting in touch with how people affect you just uh-huh. on, on a basic fucking level. And so 
somebody who's social dominant is very aware of how people affect them. And that might mean they hate everybody. That might mean that they love everybody. That could be anything between. The social blind is just, I don't really know how people affect me. I'm just doing this default get away from me thing. Yeah, it's just like I said it in a post yesterday or the day before. It's just like throwing your hands at it, just like, uh, all that social stuff is over there. I don't want it. You all do whatever that thing is. I don't know what you're even doing, but I don't I don't want to participate. Or it's just funneling quote unquote how people affect you into oh, I'm you know, this person, I'm hooked by this person, or they have something Mm -hmm. for me. Um, so it's not really seeing them, it's just seeing, you know, are they taking are they spiking any of my uh personal yep. hooks or not right it's like a it's a form of objectifying mm-hmm. and um yeah so that's that's a really good distinction yeah so yeah, objectifying I, is specifically um a big piece of social last is what we're saying right yeah yeah say more you know like you've used word uh commodifying you know it's like self-pres is sort of commodities but with sexual it's kind of like commodities that are juicy to me so it's Mm -hmm. objects people are objects um that may or may not have some juicy drugs that are going (laughs) to do something interesting for me you know figuratively speaking and if they don't have the interestingness and particular flavor that i'm looking for um they're essentially like non-existent or devalued or you know um i'm just writing them off pretty much entirely right and this yeah. is all unconscious because it's not like yeah social types are like or social blinds are like how can i use this person oh, no, totally. no no <laughs> yeah well i think part of how this has shown up for me my entire life is um just i've got a social eight dad and my mom's a two and, and so there's a lot of culturally at least with nigerian culture there's a lot of social activities like keeping track of what your family members are up to so i'll get calls from my mom telling me this cousin's up to this this uncle's dead and this person got married and i understand where it's coming from and I, but there's there's a i've known my entire life that i never understood why there was that much energy keeping track of all that stuff and i've always resisted participating in those things and i think they thought that i would grow up and things would change but they just got worse (laughs) (laughs) um, but i you know just like that is legit what it is because if if, from a family perspective is like why would you give a fuck about um people other than the fact that you're related to them like they're your cousin like this person doesn't necessarily have anything that you're interested in it's just your blood cousin and that means that you should relate to them and you should talk to them, be on the phone with them. So that's purely social for right. me. And I have, I, I've seen how often I am not honoring that and not making time for that. And um, yeah, <laughs> got to work on that, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's just about like actually getting some vocabulary around how people make like affect you and then you can start going oh i like the way these people affect me i don't like the way these people affect me and it's uh-huh. not about just liking people it's about getting really clear about what's happening and uh-huh. not just defaulting 
And then you start to see people in a more three-dimensional way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think I said on the last one, but it tends to take a lot longer to, to see people um, or to feel my how people are affecting me on from a social instinct point of view. Like something that social types are doing initially is happening like much later. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly, exactly, yeah. Anything else about social blindness? We're about crazy cave people that stay in the dark and are vampires. We deserve love too, okay? Yeah. We, we, our humanity should be <laughs> recognized. <laughs> yeah, if you're listening to this podcast, hate listening like 99% of our listeners and just think that these aren't real people. We are real. <laughs> They're just sad little snails. Miserable. Just, just little snail people. We don't know yeah. how to take photos. We don't know how to smile and be mm-hmm. and, hi- and have eyes full of light. We're just darkness everywhere, but we deserve love too. We deserve sympathy. Even if we forget to text you back or, uh, yeah, stop we talking call or respect yeah. your humanity at all. <laughs> yeah. We're we just, we just like you like people at all. Yeah. Just don't, don't pay attention to any of that. Just you like us. We don't have to like you. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> we will offend you, but you, we still deserve love. You do all the work and yes, that's it. Perfect formula right there. Mm-hmm. We, I think social blinds are responsible for providing super inappropriate entertainment. I think we, we have done a lot to enrich people's lives. They can <laughs> hate, listen to our programs and, and be like, wow, I can't believe they said that. Yes, you're welcome. We, we right. are, we have brought entertainment. <laughs> we, we, br- we provide something for other people to bond around hating us. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> something to talk about. And this is when I bring up that any women that want to do the masturbation in the mirror <laughs> and want to film it and send it to me, please do. Because we've learned how to be more appropriate. So, yeah. <laughs> and that is yes, I'm now appropriate. I know I now handle that material appropriately. <laughs> <laughs> he gave an invitation, and it's going to be with disclaimers and limitations. It's going to be done very appropriately. So please reach out to david so oh one thing i do want to add and since we're tying a bow on this part is the reason the blind spot is so important is because it is a practical sensation body you know in the present moment thing you can do to actually meaningfully change your personality to actually work on it like to say you're going to work on the thought patterns you have is very very difficult because your thoughts are just energy moving through your mind uh, same thing with your emotions, but being in touch with the blind spot, it's it's working with sensation. And as Madame de Salzman says, sensation is the only reliable instrument of self-knowledge. So it's it's always available. It's always in the present moment. And doing so provides more of a space for you to land in. And it opens up the like range of impressions that you have to take in it alleviates so much of the neurotic shit going on in your personality and when you're really grounded in the three instincts together not only is each instinct more satisfied but your dominant instinct is doing much better and it creates a foundation in the body for your heart to be to exist to be open and not just in reaction and so when there's a strong uh present body center the heart center can 
stop having to do the job of the body center, which is to react to things to create boundaries. The heart can be free to be in contact, can be touched by things, and can make contact with things. Uh, that's where intimacy becomes possible because you're not just using somebody for your instinctual fix. Your instincts are doing their thing, whether they're upset or whether they're happy, it doesn't really matter, but your heart can be available independently of your instinct. And your mind can no longer be enslaved to justifying the emotional reactions that you're having because you're not in touch with your body. The centers can be present and do their right work and work together and do what is appropriate to each center. Gurdjieff said that the ego is formed out of the wrong work of the centers. And so the blind spot is the most practical, uh, easy in a sense, not that it's easy, but easiest way to start to change the whole disorganization of the centers and to shift the center of gravity from our ego more into essence. And finally, there's a lot about this in my book. So buy my fucking book. And people who want to work on this should hit you up. Yeah, um, hit me up. And I might want to do like a workshop on this shit. Yeah, that'd be good. Um, yeah. And speaking of that, you know, in our last call, we just for a minute did a exercise of for the social blinds to um, take your awareness behind you and to the sides or something like that. Mm. And that was um, really revelatory to me. And it kind of, well, it just shows how much my attention is sort of just very narrowed in front of myself and just even doing that and imagining sort of being in um, so a social context, it was very humbling and, uh, and vulnerable really. Cause it mm. feels like, uh, oh, wow, there's this whole new world. And I don't even know how to operate with that kind of attention, sort of being open in a wider sphere. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you know, as you're, as you're speaking to David, it's like, we do a lot of ego games where we like beat ourselves up for our lack of awareness and our lack of skillfulness. And, you know, like what you're saying, it's like humbling. And the point is to not do things well, because if we did things well, uh, if we could just have an, a, a, a more open and available quality of attention, you know, then I don't know, then we wouldn't need to do this kind of work or yeah. You know, whatever, but we're all kind of, we're all pretty fucked up and we all need to really admit that we're all fucked up. And it's only by identifying and seeing and suffering the inability for us to be awake that we start to transform. So a lot of people get, start, they start to beat themselves up or they mm -hmm. praise themselves. And I talk in my book about praise and blame and like and dislike and all these ups and downs. And it's whether you're congratulating yourself on how present and awake you are, or you're beating yourself up on it, it's both the passion passion can be positive or the passion can be negative and it's all self-involvement so yeah like uh this this kind of work i know this is just very basic skeleton stuff that we talked about in these last two episodes but this kind of work is enormous speaking of a workshop there's do you have like several kinds of sort of i don't know what you call it um uh sense-based um body uh, exercises to kind of get in touch with each instinct? 
Yeah, I have to think more about them and like kind of go back to that. Julie and I did a lot of uh, online workshops. We might have some for sale actually on NewYorkEnagram.com that we did around this. But, mm. um, you know, this is what I learned as a social blind spot is that a lot of these exercises are really good and important to do around other people. Even mm -hmm. if it's like online or something like to do uh, these practices and to kind of like share about what came up sharing yep. itself is like I, I think i think i said in the last call about like wanting to organize like a book club or something it's like sharing about the blind spot no matter what our blind spot is is a huge thing uh yep. because it's there's a lot of mirroring going on there's a lot of you say something somebody pings off it and you like didn't know you could like they might say something that illuminates a whole thing that you just didn't know about so so yeah i've got some workshops or work with some techniques and stuff like that and it's like the techniques themselves are like kind of take it or leave it in a certain way it's the intention and it's the atmosphere and it's the mm -hmm. willingness around it that really makes them powerful. Right. So like, that's why a workshop or something might be like a good place to experiment with that kind of thing. All right. All right. There you go. Later. Okay. Bye. Bye guys. Bye.